Um, I thought what we'd do is just practice for maybe 10 minutes together, just to sort of um, come into the space together, um, ground a little bit, um, focus our minds. So I'll guide us through a little bit of uh, shamatha practice, if that's okay with you. So some of you might have more experience than others. Um, So if you're very experienced, you can just completely ignore my voice. (laughs) I would ignore my voice if I were you. Uh, For others, uh, you can just, uh, just listen and see if any of this is helpful. So we'll just start by keeping a straight back, just sitting comfortably, and you can have your hands on your lap or wherever they're comfortable. And usually our eyes are looking down towards our nose in that direction, either half closed or open. And here what we're going to do Maybe some of you are used to meditating with your breath. We're going to actually do a practice called the shamato without support tonight. So here we just rest with all of our senses wide open. We don't block our hearing, our sense of smell. We don't block our vision. But we bring awareness into the room with us. And we, we remain aware mainly of the mind itself. So here, sometimes this is a bit tricky for beginners. But I think the best thing to do is just to rest with all the senses open, not expecting anything, not hoping for anything. And just resting in the moment. So that's the main thing. So here there's a quality of not following after our thoughts, letting them come, but also letting them go. And there's a quality of recognizing this clear aspect of mind, which is just the ability to perceive. And then resting in the moment, or nowness. If you have to, you can go back to your breath. If this is too tough, but I challenge you to try it a little bit. So here we're bringing mindfulness in to recognize the present moment and just remain with that present moment. And of course, thoughts are going to come. You're not a bad meditator if thoughts come. We just don't get hijacked by the thoughts. We let them come. We can recognize they're coming. And we don't churn them or turn them into a story. So one of my favorite Zen teachers, Suzuki Roshi, he says, when we meditate, we leave all of our windows and doors open. We don't block anything. Anything can come inside But whatever comes inside the house, in this case our mind, we don't serve it tea. So we just let it come in and come out.
So we'll rest like this for maybe five or 10 minutes. So here we're keeping mindfulness, a small part of the mind remaining aware if we become distracted. And most likely we'll become distracted. <clears throat> That's actually not really the problem here. So when we become distracted, we just gently bring our attention, our awareness, back to the present moment, and just continue to rest there. You can also follow your breath if you'd like. Here there's nothing really holy or sacred in this. We're just cultivating non-distraction, a settled mind. When the mind settles, so do our disturbing emotions.
So I think as a beginner, the biggest thing is to drop expectations. Maybe you had a great meditation yesterday, and this one sucks. It actually doesn't matter that much. It matters the effort we put into the practice. Each time showing up and putting our energy into it wholeheartedly. Thank you. So, I'm going to start off with just a few opening prayers. Um, So if you'd like, you can uh, meditate with me here by just cultivating um, what we usually call a bodhicitta motivation within uh, Tibetan Buddhism. But here you can just cultivate a heart uh, and a wish that whatever sort of learning we do together tonight, whatever contemplation, whatever meditation we do, that it becomes a cause for our awakening to really not only transform ourselves, but also to help transform others, yeah? And of course, make it a more peaceful world uh, for everyone. So if you just cultivate that in your heart, I'll do some prayers. Kodokondro <laughs> 
So again, just generating in our hearts that wish that whatever we engage in tonight and for the rest of our evening become a cause for our own transformation and awakening, whatever that means for us, for the benefit of all sentient beings, benefit of the world. Thanks so much. See you next time. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> so, um, some of you wandered in um, after Margaret made a very beautiful announcement and made a gave a high set a high bar for me, <laughs> I guess. Um, so, anyways, it's really lovely to be here. I'm Tenzin Namsel. For those of you who don't know me, um, I call myself uh, idiot monk extraordinaire. <laughs> It's my nickname, um, self-imposed. So uh, it's really wonderful to be here. You know, I, I grew up in the Bay Area. Um, I live kind of between um, Colorado and Oakland these days. And uh, I grew up also in the FPMT in this organization. Uh, Lama Zopa is one of my main teachers. So it's really a kind of, I don't know, what do you call it? I feel really grateful to be able to sit here and talk to you guys about meditation. <laughs> um, so it's nice. Um, well, I haven't said anything yet. <laughs> we'll see. So tonight, I guess the idea is um, the topic was working, working skillfully with emotions through letting be. Right? Was that the topic? <laughs> so um, I think the idea is to present that. I, I sometimes just jump into a topic. Um, I'd like to try something else tonight. I think. What we're going to do is have a little kind of a workshoppy thing right now, and then we're going to jump into a little discussion, and then um, we'll practice. So we'll have these kind of short periods to practice this uh, practice called handshaking, or another way to talk about it is letting be, which I'll explain. Um, and then we can do question and answer and you know, hopefully have a nice evening together. So what I'd ask you to do right now is just find someone you don't know and um, introduce yourself break the ice a little bit. We're just going to take maybe five minutes. And um, I have some questions for you. So hold on before you introduce. So what I want to know, um, and it, you know, I, I realize some of you may be strangers with each other, and it might be difficult to answer these questions with someone you don't know. So you don't have to take the most challenging, difficult emotion for you it could just be something like for me, it's like my addiction to Ben and Jerry's ice cream, right? I could just take that one. Not that like, you know, something super heavy. 
So after you introduce yourselves, um, maybe just you could discuss a little bit for each of you, what do you commonly do when experiencing a difficult emotion? So, so what are some common things that you kind of go to? Now, this doesn't, of course, you can, you know, be a good Buddhist and say, like, I do this Buddhist thing, but that's not really what I'm looking for. Like, what do, what's our habit? Now, if your habit is to do a good Buddhist thing, wonderful. I'm going to, you should come up here and teach. <laughs> but, you know, normally we have a lot of other habits that just unconsciously come up to engage when a difficult emotion comes. So maybe just discussing that a bit. And also, when that when that when we go through that habitual experience whatever our habit is to apply to a difficult emotion how does this affect the emotional experience yeah so what are some common things that that sort of naturally habitually you do when a difficult emotion comes and then i didn't want to ask does that work because that's implying it doesn't work i just want to ask how does that then affect the emotional experience so what's the result of that so maybe, does that sound okay? So we'll just take maybe five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to break you guys up. <laughs> That's a good sign. <laughs> or maybe a really bad sign. I'm not sure. So, um, anyways, anybody want to share a little bit? Maybe, maybe something. Um, what, what is a common way, um, like a common habit that comes up when we experience a difficult emotion, and then how does that sort of affect the experience? <laughs> yeah. Distraction. Distraction. And it just, for me, it kind of gives a little space. Hmm. But then I keep coming back to it. Yeah. I think mine was, like, as soon as you asked the question, who are we going to pair up with? Uh, This is my first time here, so I don't know anybody, so it wasn't an issue there. (laughs) um, I don't either. I just know Margaret. (laughs) (laughs) But my mind instantly starts thinking. I'm like, okay, well, this person's next to me, that person's next to me. Does he have someone to talk to? And my mind will just go, go, go. And and so I have to kind of tell myself I don't need to judge this situation. I just kind of recognize it as soon as I can. It's not always right away. Wonderful. Just kind of breathing it out and letting that go and saying, I don't need to really think about this now. I'll be confident later when the actual decision comes up. Nice. That's your, is that your go-to thing normally? Yeah. yeah. It, it took like 20 years to get that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of, uh, yeah. Cool. I recognize that pretty quick. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. yeah. I go home, immediately begin to process like something that is, like, came as a shock, shock or a surprise. And I process it with my inner child. And I don't, I'm new to Buddhism, so I don't know if you talk about that. But I have a little girl inside that I conversations with and she's the one that's upset mm-hmm. and then if I can stay busy being her mommy and acting as though I know what I'm doing <laughs> then uh, I can process it in a way that I can calm down because I feel more powerful less vulnerable that way mm-hmm. I feel like a job to do nice wonderful inner child yeah. inner, inner, <clears throat> inner mother too 
inner teacher. Yeah, nice. Thank you. Anybody else? I think we both know what to do when that emotion comes up, what the right thing is, mm-hmm. and could practice it, but if it's something that's really, I mean, you just both have to have the situation with anger, and adjust, and when we see that, being able to really control that anger, I know, you know, change the proximity from the person, or whatever I'm doing, you know, the tools, but if it's a real heavy duty situation, I kind of just really mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of have a what are some of the tools? I'm just curious. Um, well, for me, you know, it's to create space, you know, and just sit down and, 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 and even, I don't even need to really completely get away, but to actually, uh, and sometimes I do, to completely remove myself from the person yeah. or whatever's really bothering me. And then, you know, to just take some really good deep breaths, take some space, and and <coughs> through it and not let it just take me over. Um, you know, along with meditating or whatever I have to do after that, and it could be days where there's something that's really that I'm angry about. Well, I've been able now to stop that immediate reaction to small things. You know, look that maybe the other person has a problem. That's <laughs> 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 why they're, they're running me off yeah. the road or whatever. But that's what I usually go to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> never my it's fault. Their <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So I think we talked about anger and, and um, what was going on? Overpower myself and try to give the loving, try to get 
<laughs> Sometimes it's so hard. Thank you. So Google, that's what I took away. <laughs> Just Google it. <laughs> so we have, uh, let's see, we have non-judgment, controlling, sometimes uh, releasing, Google. What else? We maybe one more. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe uh, self-control versus reaction. to a situation or, or a yeah, feeling. No. No. That's good. I think that's good. Thank you guys for sharing. Yeah. Um, so, more or less, um, you know, it sounds to me, we just like, just like most of us, I think, who end up in a room with a Buddhist monk on a topic, you know, we have a variety of, of methods for how we deal with our, our difficult experiences and emotions, and some of them are, are skillful. And some of them aren't, you know, the same. I suffer from the same thing because, you know, as a person, I'm also mostly ruled by my habits, you know. Um, and so then we have all these ways of and methods and different ways of working with it. Um, what I'd like to present tonight is, is sort of a method from my teacher, Sognarim Shay. He calls a handshaking practice. Um, and in order to, and then we're going to practice it a little bit too. So it's, there's some kind of setup I'm going to do, but mostly this is something we have to experience and we have to feel because it's a very different way of relating to our emotions. Yeah. Um, so how many of you like actually, or some of you like study Buddhism and practice Buddhism? Just curious. Yeah. Okay. That's a good, good amount. So just to frame this a little bit, um, Within Buddhism, we have what's called uh, the path of liberation. Yeah, so this is mostly what Buddhist practice is trying to hit at, and what this is interested in, more or less from a religious perspective, is what is happening next life onwards. It's concerned also with relieving the suffering of this life, but its main concern is a religious perspective, believing in past and future lives, how to affect our future rebirths and eventually attain a state where we're completely liberated from these disturbing emotions, where we actually don't have to experience them at all, and we're liberated from them. Now, that doesn't mean we're emotionless, right? I want to point that out, because um, when you guys were speaking... There's depth and rich experience in our emotions, even when they are a disturbing emotion. They don't feel good necessarily in the moment, but there is some kind of power or energy there. In Buddhism, we, in some schools of Buddhism, we also use that kind of power or energy yeah, for good, for our own awakening as well as the awakening of others. But what I was um, going to say is primarily in Buddhism, uh, it's working with how to transform and see, see the nature of emotions, so how to see, how, how do these actually exist? How are these actually functioning? As opposed to a self-help technique for um, uh, making them more uh, manageable. <laughs> 
the Buddha wasn't that interested in making our emotions manageable. He was really interested in how to transcend the disturbing emotions as a whole. So I'm just laying this out there to lay some to lay some groundwork for what we're going to talk about tonight. So this is the path of, of Buddha Dharma, where from a religious perspective, uh, we believe and, and the Buddha taught that there is a way to actually transcend suffering. Yeah, and this is embodied in the Four Noble Truths, where first it's recognizing that there is pain, there is dissatisfaction, there is suffering that we experience as human beings. But also there can be a cessation of that, and then, uh, sorry, there's a cause of that, and then because there's a cause, there's a cessation, and then the way to, to uh, create or, or cause that cessation is through... Um, cultivating ethics, through cultivating meditative concentration, and through recognizing the nature of those very emotions, which we call wisdom in Buddhism, or yeshe in Tibetan. So this is primarily the function within the Buddhist path. Um, and generally, until now, um, cultures that Buddhism was taught in were relatively... Um, not fast-paced cultures, uh, relatively um, simpler than what we're dealing with here in the United States and other cities across the, the, the world, including in Asian countries too. Um, they were more relational cultures or communal cultures where um, individualism wasn't as much the function of those cultures. And, and some of you in this room might even come from cultures like that. Um, so specifically, I'm talking to people uh, with this practice, um, when we grew up in a fast-paced modern uh, Western society, and this could be even people who have immigrated, yeah, we we all come into this when we come into the American culture and other uh, Western societies, where we generally have very little time. Uh, we have a lot of speediness in our culture. We have all kinds of gadgets uh, prodding us and beeping at us all the time. <laughs> you know, I just got a new iPhone, and it was like. A simultaneous feeling of like Christmas, like getting something new, and dread because there's like the battery doesn't get as long a life as my last one. It be, you know all these other beeps and stuff I have to think about that my other one didn't do. <laughs> so, anyways, there's always a downside here to sort of our modern conveniences. Um, so this is sort of the bad news here <laughs> I'm presenting out now, which is when we. When we engage with uh, modern culture these days and uh, highly intellectual, highly uh, educated societies, um, there's also some drawbacks that start to happen because uh, the process of emotional well-being and emotional education also starts to suffer as the, the, um, the need for more intellectual clarity increases. Yeah? So here what can start to happen, especially if we grew up in the West, is our emotional no, I'm presenting this. You don't have to believe this, right? I'm just sort of giving you this perspective. You can check for yourself. The, the embodied sense of emotions and the embodied sense of being here in our bodies starts to separate out from the thinking mind. And so then the thinking mind begins to spin on its own, sort of uh, not in congruence with our emotional or felt or maybe I'll use the word like energy body, Yeah. So these two start to separate slowly. And I've watched also, even as Tibetans emigrate, emigrate here from uh, India, Nepal, and Tibet, they also start to experience this when they live in cities. Things start to shift for them. Yeah. So generally, uh, Buddhism was, going back to my 
previous kind of statement, Buddhism was really the framework of this path of liberation was taught in the context of cultures that um, didn't have these sort of problems stemming from modern convenience and modern society. So generally, like I said, they, they, they had more relational capabilities. Uh, there was less a sense of a, of a separate I, separate from the community. Um, there was also um, more uh, emotional well-being. Now I'm generalizing here, right? More emotional well-being because you don't, you know, you're, you, you know, a Tibetan uh, yak herder he wakes up, has some, you know, tampa with butter, uh, drinks some yak milk, has some disgusting dried yak cheese or dri cheese. It's a female version of yak, and then goes out on the pasture and just hangs out all day. I mean. I, I, I think an American would find a way to get stressed by that, but they didn't, you know? But uh, <laughs> I think I would get stressed out doing that because, again, I've grown up in this culture, and so my thoughts are generally spinning no matter what, yeah? So within that culture, there wasn't so much talk about connecting the thinking mind back to the emotions and also gaining more health on an emotional uh, or, or more well-being on the level of emotions. There didn't need to be that. They could go right into talking about the path of liberation, right? Now, again, this is also a, up for a debate, what I'm talking about. Uh, some traditional Tibetan teachers might disagree with me. And so what I'm saying here is you don't do either or. Uh, when we approach the Buddhist path, there's this path of we, we, you know, we adopt or we, we get interested in the religious perspectives and views but those views are in connection with attaining something beyond just a healthy emotional base. You see what I'm saying? Where a lot of us have such a dearth of that, that when we approach meditation, we're just trying to get healthy. So what ends up happening is we don't end up doing either one because we, get, we hijack the Buddhist path because we, we don't practice the path of liberation. And then at the same time, we never actually get the healing we need. So what I'm talking about tonight is mainly... We have this path of liberation that we can we, we engage in when we're getting interested in Buddhism, when we're learning about Buddhism, when we're practicing meditation. And this is in connection with developing a wish for awakening, full awakening or liberation. And then underneath that, cultivating a healthy, stable emotional base um, can be a very helpful practice for connecting back in the felt sense, the um, somatic aspects of our experience so our thinking mind and emotions go together does this make sense is it i'll keep going <laughs> so you'll have to think about this and see how this is if this is your experience if it's not you don't have, you know you can throw it out right you don't have to agree with me so uh, my teacher sokner uh, he teaches this way for a reason because he sees that when um a westerners approach or uh, people who primarily grew up in a modern Western culture or in a modern city. It's happening now in India and other Asian countries as well as things modernize and speed up. And um, also a, an intellectual education is prized where, where it's only the thinking mind that's engaging, um, that's sort of prized as the main way to educate. Yeah. Um, so he sees that when this happens, slowly... Um, it's difficult to engage the path of liberation because underneath we just want to feel good, right? Now, when we're engaging the path of liberation, it's actually hard work. You know, some of you who do practice Buddhism, I want to see you start nodding your heads, you know? When you meditate on Lam Rim, it's not necessarily fun, right? Because you meditate on death and impermanence. 
the, the, the process of meditating on death and impermanence or any of these different meditations is to actually arouse fear. That's the point. You know, so it arouses the fear. So we practice, and we we use the life in a meaningful way. But if underneath we're we're just looking for the healing within the practice, we'll always remain dissatisfied, and we won't actually get the healing we need. So what my teacher is advocating for is just recognizing that, and then understanding when we can use this path of healing, either in a secular fashion, if we don't, if we're not interested in the Buddhist path, or if we're interested in the Buddhist path as sort of a, a companion or mate along the journey. So as we're engaging in bodhicitta practice, as we're engaging in meditating on Lam Rim, data yoga practice, all these things, we're also healing. Yeah? We're working on our emotional well-being and healing. So these these two paths do not have to be, um, what do you call it, mm, mutually exclusive or cut off from each other. Uh, but one can also do just the path of healing if you're not interested in, in the religious aspects of Buddhism. So... With that said, um, in all of this, really it's a process of distinguishing between uh, reality and not reality within within Buddhism or within this path of healing. And another way to say it is really distinguishing between uh, positive and harmful patterns. Yeah. So in Buddhism, we approach these in a certain way. And when we're working with the path of healing, we're mainly trying to understand what's uh, how is the mind functioning, how is the thinking mind functioning, as well as the emotional felt sense, somatic aspects of our experience, yeah? So I'm going to get into a little bit of uh, technical stuff here, but it it should hopefully like help our conversation because when we understand these aspects, we can, when we do the practice, which the practice is not intellectual at all, it's actually uh, opposite of that. It's very simple and very somatic. Um, but when we understand these other aspects, we can start to understand how our reactions start happening to things, and we can recognize them and better work with them. So first we have the body, right? So really here, body is made up of, of course, our gross body, uh, skin, bones, all that stuff. Um, we also have uh, feelings, sensations, as well as emotions. And here in this context for tonight, emotions are are both a... Um, a felt, um, embodied experience, as well as a thinking, uh, or an, uh, they can be sort of also involved the intellect and the mind. But here I'm kind of more putting them in, into the definition of uh, embodied. And then um, what we have in Buddhism is something called the subtle body, which more refers to an energetic body. So I'm going to go into that a little bit. Um, so. Here within the gross body, we're just talking about literally our, our organs, um, skin, bones, all of that kind of stuff. Now, from a Buddhist perspective, and this is mainly coming from Vajrayana Buddhism, we also have what's called the subtle body. Now, I'm bringing it up here mainly because subtle body is mainly talked about within um, the more advanced paths of Buddhism. And when, they're t- when it's talked about in the more advanced paths of Buddhism, specifically the Vajrayana tradition we're really working with transforming this energetic or subtle body from a karmic subtle body, which means uh, wrapped in constriction and delusion, into a wisdom subtle body, which means completely free or an enlightened subtle body. But here in this context, we're just going to use it uh, distinguishing between a healthy subtle body and an unhealthy subtle body, just when we're talking about the path of healing. Yeah. So just if you hear the term again in a Buddhist context, usually they're referring to more this, the path to enlightenment. Here I'm just referring to health. Um, 
so here the subtle body is made up of three aspects. So we have what's called the, the prana. Uh, the prana is uh, our life force energy, or in Tibetan they call it lung. Uh, so it means like a wind energy, right? And I'll, I'll explain these a little bit more in depth in a minute. And then we have the nadi, uh, which are the channels where the wind moves through those channels throughout the body. And in Tibetan they also call these uh, tsa. And then we have what's called the bindu, which in Tibetan is called tigle, or in English we call it like essential drops. And the bindu is most related to our, the quality of our energetic experience, our mood. Yeah, When our bindu is healthy, we experience joy. We experience well-being. We experience a healthy, um, uh, what do you call it, um, healthy sexual like appetite that kind of thing when the bindu is functioning properly right when the bindu is not functioning properly or it's 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 either being impacted by the other parts of the subtle body or being impacted because it's dry in itself then we experience sadness uh grief uh depression um all those kinds of uh negative emotions what we normally call negative emotions so the bindu I'm just going to try to, it's a little complex, but I'm going to try to break it down for those of you who haven't heard this kind of thing before. So the bindu is carried throughout the channels by the wind energy. So the wind energy is kind of like the horse, right? It's how we say it in, in Tibetan Buddhism often. So it's the horse that carries that wind energy. Now that wind energy is our life force energy. It's the reason we can perceive, you can hear me now because of that wind energy. And there's different kinds of wind energy. So... Uh, Tibetan doctors, Chinese doctors, and all these kinds of medical systems. Uh, I could, you could probably say lung or, or prana is pretty similar to qi in, in the Chinese system. We're not completely sure it's the same, but it's probably very similar. And so within this, these three aspects function as an energetic system. Now, this is a system within our body we can't see. So they, they're not able to perceive this through uh, modern medical instruments. Probably my guess is in a couple hundred years they will. They'll invent something to perceive, to perceive those more subtler aspects of the of our um, energy. And those the, these systems, the prana, nadi, and bindu, are more related to mind. So, again, it fills in the gaps between emotion, feeling, energy, not just being a thinking thing. It's actually in our body from this perspective. Yeah. So when we experience a thought, from a Vajrayana perspective, it's also in our body as an energy. Yeah. So when you have this framework, it becomes easier to understand how how our how our emotions work and how things are functioning. So a healthy, subtle body is where <clears throat> the lung is moving properly through the channels. You, you guys with me? I, I want to make sure you understand the basics of the cha- the channels are like the highways of the of the energy body. So the the prana is moving uh, nicely through those. Yeah. And primarily when we need the prana to go up, like when we're being chased by a mountain lion, we need it to go up. That's when our, all of our, you know, the fear triggers and our adrenaline pumps and the lung goes up and we can move or do what we need to. But then after the mountain lion goes, the lung goes down into its proper home where our lung mostly should live here around the navel area, about 70% of it. Um, and then it moves where it needs to and the lung moves throughout the body. It cre- it's what creates our life force, yeah. Yeah, the meridians uh, may be related to channels. I'm not sure. Um, but um, there's uh, 80, f- I think, I'm going to get this wrong. I think there's 84,000 channels in the body. There's, there's, 
thousands and thousands. So the meridians, I think, are more finer channels. And then uh, we have bigger channels and more, um, what do you call it, main ones, more sub-channels. The chakras are channels that have that have not. They're, they're knots. So the, ch- the channels actually wrap around each other in these areas, crown, um, throat, heart, and so forth, yeah. That's what a chakra is, yeah. So, um, but we're not getting into any like new agey chakra meditations. <laughs> just, just, just warning you. Not that you. I know you're not asking for that, but um, we're just kind of explaining it more as a medical system, so we understand how to create healing in it. So back to the healthy subtle body. So the lung functions properly in a healthy subtle body. Um, we mostly feel relaxed, well-being. Also, the channels are, are more or less straight. They're not bent. And the bindu is functioning properly, meaning we generally feel well-being. Now, this isn't some kind of explosive excitement. When the bindu is healthy, it's not necessarily everything's exciting all the time. We're just happy for no reason. You know, just things are okay. So, I don't know. I don't want to make some big sweeping judgment, but um, I'm definitely in this category. But I don't find too many people like that in our culture, you know, in America these days. And I don't know other countries because I don't spend a lot of time in them. But my guess is in any fast-paced society that has copied the Western education system as well as other aspects of our culture, um, they're going to have some issues with how the subtle body is functioning, whether it's healthy or not. So the bad news. So a, 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 health, a subtle body that's not functioning so properly is one where the channels are bent, uh, more than they need to be and the lung is also not circulating uh, circulating properly now this can come from a lot of different reasons a lot of our lung disorders or prana disorders in our culture comes from overthinking so pushing our intellectual mind too much and then what happens is the 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 lung starts to spin on its own where we you ever have that experience where you you don't want to think before you go to bed but you just can't your thoughts just keep spinning now, this is when the lung is out of balance yeah it's not a huge problem. You don't need to freak out. I mean, the, the good the, the the good news in this area is we all have lung problems. <laughs> if you go to a Tibetan doctor, they're going to give you lung medicine. You know, uh, it's just endemic within modern culture, not just Americans. So you don't have to feel bad. Yeah. Also, um, lung disorders can create a lot of anxiety, unnecessary anxiety when there's no reason to have anxiety. There's not a mountain lion chasing you, yet you have you feel like that. I have days like this, right? Um, and then when this is uh, over a long period of time when the lung imbalance isn't treated, it can actually do the reverse, which is trigger depression, uh, a lot of deep depression. So in Tibetan medicine, depression actually comes from a lung imbalance. When the anxiety has been triggering for a lot of years or the lung has been circling in an um, um, unhealthy pattern for a long time, then it can trigger um, yeah, depression. So anyways... I don't need to go into this so much. I'm not a Tibetan doctor. If you want to know more, you can read more from Chinese medicine or Tibetan medicine. But the basis is, so how, when we're experiencing, uh, whether a healthy subtle body or an unhealthy subtle body, when we're experiencing this unhealthy aspects where the lung is not circulating properly, this is when we experience uh, disturbing emotions and we have a lack of well-being. Yeah? So when understanding this, we can start to recognize slowly through this practice I'm going to introduce, which I keep talking about, but don't introduce. <laughs> uh, it'd be like, it'd be like eight fifty. <laughs> Say it. I'm just joking. We're going to go into it. So, um, so when 
you know, there's a lot of ways to remedy this, uh, Tibetan medicine, Chinese medicine, lifestyle changes. There's breathing meditations. You can do pranayama kind of style meditations uh, to manipulate the breath, to bring the lung down. Here, we're going to mainly use this practice of handshaking or letting be to work with it. Yeah. But now I'm just giving you some framework to understand that here within this practice, we're not just working with a thought of the emotion. We're working with the felt sense of it in our subtle body. Okay. Now, the subtle body is subtle, so we can't really feel the subtle body itself. It's a lot like this. So you have your um, channel here, right, where the, where the wind energy moves through. Then you have your wind energy, which is this beater. So when the wind energy is sort of unnecessarily tapping, like for me, I get pressure in my chest, which is a lung disorder, when we have some pressure here in the back of our chest, the, uh, between the shoulder blades. Um, when it's hitting there, I can feel the, 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 um, some pressure, something like that. But here, what I'm actually feeling is not this, and I'm not feeling this, but I'm feeling the sound, even though that sounds funny. But that sound there is what we can learn to recognize. So the sound is the response in our nervous system, because it's very difficult to actually feel the lung and feel the channel, but we can feel the response that's happening. So this could be a speediness, where when we try to sit still, we just need to get up and do something. Maybe thoughts spinning out of control, maybe anxiety, maybe depression. All these kinds of things are, are the lung not functioning properly. Now again, we don't have to freak out about it. Um, we just do the practice that I'm going to introduce <laughs> soon. <laughs> so... Um, so like I said, uh, there's not like one way to fix these kinds of issues. Um, like I said, there's alternative medicine we can take. There's, you know, sometimes just going for a really good run works, right? Exercising, sometimes changing our diet, sometimes just relaxing, you know, spending more time not doing much, uh, slowing down, not speeding around. But for a lot of us in our culture, that's not practical, because the, the expectations that are put on us, especially when we have families, also on top of our jobs, um, we don't have a lot of time. So then there's other practices we can apply. So in general, going back to like how we started tonight, a lot of us weren't taught how to work with our emotions, how to work when our energy is off like this, Not let alone how to recognize it or even what it is, Right. But we're not taught how to work with it. For me, if, uh, for instance, I, I've, I've spent most of my life, uh, you know, either suppressing emotions I don't like or suppressing experiences I don't like, excuse me, or completely indulging them and just engaging them, right? And pretty much that's how I've, I've spent most of my life. And, you know, now it's probably 70, 30, maybe <laughs> 70 still doing that, 30 this practice. So I don't know, maybe better. Maybe I'm being humble. Uh, but anyways, um, so the whole idea is to sort of recognize, do we actually know how to work with our emotions in a constructive way? Like, and that's why I kind of asked you, because some of you might know, uh, is it working for you, what you do? Meaning like the whole result is that we're not afraid of our emotions. Meaning, does it work um, that we're able to cultivate well-being? Are we af not afraid of our emotions? Meaning they can come and go as they please, but they don't sort of ultimately derail us completely are we also uh, trying to control and fix them a lot you know this is very common in our culture for me for instance I, i'm a fixer i really like to you know put things in a box it was my birthday yesterday i'm a virgo so i like to like organize and 
you know, do things like that. So this practice called handshaking, basically what we're doing is we're not doing anything. <laughs> and kind of not doing anything and remaining in this uncontrived way is the method, but it's sort of almost like a methodless method. The only method we're doing, and I think I want to more introduce it as a guided meditation, I'm just sort of going to say a bit here to introduce it before that, is mainly we're feeling the feeling and we're bringing the awareness to the feeling world where if you're like me, a lot of my time has been spent resisting feeling something painful because it's painful, right? So as a human being, we don't want that, and especially a human being, you know, growing up in our culture nowadays, we don't want that because we have so many things telling us, you don't even need to worry. Just grab this, eat this, touch this, poke that, and you'll be fine, right? Supposedly. So here, I think one of the most radical things we can do in our culture is to actually feel the feeling and to be with the experience, yeah? So I'm going to introduce it in a guided practice. So I think you can just sit again with a comfortable straight back. Whether in a chair or on a cushion, either way is fine. And so we can start just by bringing mindfulness to our body. This means just bringing awareness to our feet as they touch the ground. And whatever feeling is most present in your experience right now. So here we're not trying to figure something out or name it. We're just bringing our awareness, which is this quality of the mind to know itself or to be aware of something, to know something, but not knowing it through thought. We bring the awareness to whatever experience is most present right now. So here, you don't have to spend too much time looking. Just whatever's there. This can be a sensation. Could be an emotion, maybe. Could be anxiety or speediness. Could be sadness. Or maybe it's not something painful. Maybe it's something pleasant. Whatever is most prevalent, we just bring our awareness to that. And we feel it. But here we feel it without trying to manipulate it, without trying to control it, without trying to change it. We're almost surrendering to it. So whatever you've managed to touch has a right to actually express itself. No matter how painful. So here we're just giving it space to be and to express itself.
and we're not suppressing it, we're also not indulging in it because we have our awareness. We're not running away from it. And we're not also uh, we're also not applying an antidote. We're not actually trying to fix the situation. So here the attitude is very much you can do whatever you want. I'm just gonna sit with you. Bring my awareness to the experience, touch the experience, feel it, and wait. And so we need some mindfulness to stay with the process. But we're not trying to figure anything out. If you're like me and you tend to overly analyze your emotions or feelings, just drop it. So here we can just completely drop into the body, drop the thinking into the body. We can give our thinking mind a rest. Analysis is wonderful in a lot of contexts, but feelings do not function on analysis. They need to be felt. <clears throat> so here we're giving kindness to the feeling by allowing it to be to express itself. That includes any feeling, even if you're, this sucks and you hate doing this, just feel that. If you're totally bored or falling asleep, just feel that, it's fine. You don't have to resist or reject anything, I don't care, just don't shoot me. <laughs> if you wanna shoot me, that's fine, just don't shoot me, please. I like my life. But you can feel if you want to shoot me. That's perfectly fine. Nothing's rejected here, no matter how outlandish, disturbing. But we're remaining aware of that feeling or experience. And so the kindness to ourselves is remaining aware that we're not getting hijacked by the experience. We're surrendering to it, but we're not being co-opted into it. But we're also not trying to corral or control the situation. There's a lot of space here. And slowly as we wait, things might shift, depending on what we manage to hit. If you're lucky, maybe you hit what my teacher calls a beautiful monster. This is a trauma expressed from our subtle body that we have to be very patient with, give a lot of space.
we just sit with it, feeling it, and wait. Without any hope for it becoming easier or any fear of it becoming worse. So in Tibetan we use the word machupa, which means uncontrived. So here we're just remaining completely uncontrived, a lot of space. Really our only job here is to bring awareness to the felt sense. And this might shift. Maybe it already shifted for you. Maybe something that needed your attention came up. And it's okay, you can handshake that too. This is a unique kind of meditation. We don't have to sort of stay with an object. We can move. We kind of let our own subtle body and energy tell us where it wants to go, what it needs to express, and we just remain with that, with awareness, without trying to shift, change, manipulate. So we need a little bit of courage here to face painful feelings and emotions, but not with an attitude of coming in as a conqueror or dictator. There's some kind of friendliness we bring in, but we're willing to sit with that experience. We're willing to really feel it. So I didn't want to make that first one too long. We'll do it again uh, before we close tonight. So this is essentially um, this handshaking practice I kept talking about. So this is where, again, the awareness, which is one hand, meets the, the feeling, which is the other hand. And the handshake comes without, with, with a gentle friendliness, but without some kind of idea to manipulate the other hand, right? Or the feeling. So it comes just to be there with it, yeah? 
not be there in a sense of like, oh, you need to be happier. Like, for instance, if we were managed to touch sadness, oh, you need to change. Sadness isn't good. You need to feel better. You know, talking to the sadness like that. No, that's not what we're doing here. We don't need to do that. Yeah. All we have to do is be fully honest with that feeling and remain with it. Yeah. And over time, what happens is just as with um, difficult people or, or people, uh, sort of a child who's in a state of um, sadness or screaming or something, they, they don't want to be that way, you know? They're sort of impelled to do that by whatever situation they're in or their own emotional response. So similarly, when we're working with a difficult emotion or a felt sense within our body, it doesn't want to be like that all the time it also wants to open but we have to give it space and we have to touch and be with it because often uh no i'm not i'm not gonna i know nobody in this room ever does this it's just me <laughs> you know often we're suppressing them we're, we're sort of trying to uh what do you call it control and sort of uh, uh manipulate and sort of uh bakshish is the word that keeps coming bakshish is in india like uh bribe them right to go away or something like this or distract ourselves all these methods right but actually every time we do that we further entrench these disturbing emotions and these difficult uh trapped energies in our bodies every time that happens we're we're giving it more reason not to trust us but when we feel it and we're with it in this sense slowly they start to trust us and they start to open and what happens as they open is we start to heal those patterns. And as we heal those patterns, slowly we start to come ha- to have what's called essence love. So essence love is a, another word my teacher made up, uh, which is a quality of um, experience or a quality of being that is just happy for no reason. There's no sort of outer object providing that happiness. There's no sort of sense of a condition providing our own happiness. And that happiness is not like a, like a woohoo kind of happiness. It's just, I'm okay. Just a genuine sense of okayness that's not conditioned and at the same time um, isn't so exciting. And then that essence love itself is the potential for joy. It's the potential for all these other stronger emotions. But within itself, it's just kind of the, the basic nature of our emotional body. Yeah, so we have the basic nature of our of mind on a relative level, which is just like being clear. Uh, now, here on the emotional side, on the on the level of body or energy, it's this basic sense of just feeling okay. So, again, um, I think we have a big dearth of this in our culture. So we need these practices, kind of practices like this, to work with it. Yeah. Um, so it takes time to get to essence love and again it's a little bit tricky because this practice we're fully dropping everything did you were you some of you able to do that sort of fully let go and just experience no i see some heads no some yes (laughs) it's it's a challenging practice it takes some time to get used to it but i'm telling you about essence love because this is the quality that comes out of it but we don't have this goal in mind when we're doing it because we're not coming in with a method to try to fix things. That's the big key to this practice, is we don't come in trying to manipulate or fix the emotion. We just fully accept the situation as it is, and we feel it. So just kind of, I'm curious, um, 
and then I want to do some questions if you guys have it or we can talk a little bit. How many of you, is this completely new? Like you're, you're not used to doing anything like this at all. Yeah? Yeah. And the rest of you are lying. This <laughs> <Just> joking. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. No, I, I know these kinds of practices are becoming more co- common. There's also somatic um, Western psychology practices that, that, that incorporate things like this. I think Sokner Rinpoche, he actually kind of made this practice up from a combination of Western somatic practice and uh, Mahamudra because Mahamudra we do um, there's a, a way of just being uncontrived in all situations so we kind of combine them <laughs> he made this up so this doesn't actually come from Buddhism really it's sort of a healing practice yeah um, I have a question I've seen I've done things like this before and there's like an element of curiosity like is this feeling or sensation getting like stronger or moving is, does that have a place here or is not in this practice yeah I mean th- that might be helpful yeah but um, yeah, this one, you're not really analyzing or doing any sort of checking. You're just being with the experience. And, but you, because the awareness is there, the awareness has the ability to understand and know. So then we can know that something's shifting or changing, but we, we didn't do it. It did it on its own. I tell you, that's like when I started doing this about five years ago. I mean, just like a, per, you know, because we all need like those personal quotes, right? <laughs> this is a personal anecdote. This practice has really helped me over the last five or six years, like incredibly. And um, uh, I still work on it a lot. And, and, you know, you get good at this where you, you can start on the cushion, getting used to it, and then you just take it into life and you can do it anywhere. But um, really the main aspect of it is just really like letting go and not trying to manipulate the situation, which is really hard to do in the beginning. I mean, I'm curious if anybody has some experience just working in that short meditation. I saw a few heads go like that. I don't know if anybody wants to talk about it, but experiences, difficulties with it, or maybe successes, anything. We can talk now. <laughs> Come on. I, I started yeah. with a, a situation I'm really doing. I mean, it's in England. And but it did shift uh, because, but it was not that it wasn't related. The anger went to aloneness. Mm. So how? Mm. There you go. I don't know how that connects, but it went from one thing to another. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good way to kind of describe it because some people are able to connect with this practice right away. Some people don't understand how to do it, and I think just thank you. That gives a kind of key into what it does because we let it when we're just resting with the experience, and it could be like an emotion we can name. We're not naming it, but it could be. Or it could just be some energetic thing. We have no idea what it is. We just feel it, right? But either way, we stay with that. And then it moves and things open. And that's why these, um, when we hit a difficult uh, trauma or difficult emotion, my teacher calls these beautiful monsters because they appear like monsters. We don't want to have anything to do with them. We want to get rid of them or control them. But then he, he, the term beautiful is because as they open and these layers come apart, so for me, I don't know your experience, but I've had things like that happen where it's a layer, another layer starts to show where the where, what's underneath the anger as we're going deeper and deeper. Now, again, I would encourage you, you don't have to figure that out. Just let it come naturally. But as we go uh, through the layers, the beauty of these, of these traumas actually come because what's underneath them is transformation. And what's underneath them is a lot of wisdom into our experience, actually. I've found that to be the case. But it takes a while. It takes a few few weeks of practicing this or months i mean not your experience but really the wisdom starts to come out out of them as things heal anybody else questions anything yeah so 
mine was fear. Mm-hmm. It's like I have, it's just I just carry fear with me. And what I was, um, I was just like present to it, and it like would go away. It was like yeah. all of a sudden I'm not feeling it, and then I'd go, well, wait a minute, what's the feeling? And then it would come back, and I'm. I didn't know if I was manipulating it or yeah, what yeah, was yeah. going on there. No, that's a, a good good question. Um, I think you have to just keep going with it because, yes, yeah, sometimes they're shy. I mean, I talk about them as if they're like a being, right? But they kind of are. They're like a different part of our psyche and they're, they're energetic. They're within our energy body. And, um, yeah, sometimes because we, we, we maybe have not worked with them so skillfully before, they kind of... You know, if we're too, it's like, a, okay, now I'll talk about the handshake. And really, so my teacher, the way you have like a lumberjack handshake, you know, someone comes in or like, you know, and like, like that kind of handshake, right? He says, it's not like that kind of handshake. So we have to come in very like um, with intention, but not so strong. He says it's a little bit more like, um, he calls it a, because um, he grew up in Nepal and India. He calls it like a, um, a high class Indian woman's handshake. So she just gives you her hand, and then you you have to shake it like that. <laughs> she doesn't do anything, you know. So it's it's a little bit like that, where we just bring it, and we don't. And so here's the the experience, right? Whatever we're touching, and this is the awareness. So when we when we touch, it's just we're not resting on. We're not like pushing down. It's just very gentle, and then this can do what it wants. So if, for instance, um, anger. It can, you know, kick like a like a buck or whatever. It can kick and move the awareness everywhere. Now the awareness didn't go anywhere. It's still with it, but it's it's not trying to keep it there. Yeah. So I think sometimes in relation to your question, it could be that we handshake, we use the handshake too forcefully. We're like, not because you had an agenda, but maybe because like that's the way we're used to feeling our emotions. It's just like I'm there, and there it is, right? Or maybe it's just shy, and it's going to take take time, and you have to keep going back to it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it coming in and out like that. I think that's fine. But you know, as you do the practice more and refine it, it's what I find with this practice is it's um, like when I first started doing it, um, it was uh, very difficult to not. I'm a very analytical person, so it's very difficult not to analyze, and it was very difficult not to manipulate the emotion. Um, it was just, it was, it took me months to just learn how to just be there with it. So this is where our meditation practice can really help, where we cultivate a meditation practice of just sitting without any kind of manipulation in the meditation practice. So, yeah, but we'll do it one more time. And I'd be curious if you have more feedback, we'll practice again in a few minutes. With the ultimate goal, then, if you were to start doing this handshaking practice, sitting with the emotion, would it inevitably the emotion so this is the tricky thing if we have a goal then we bring an agenda to the practice and then it doesn't really work because the emotion also knows that you know it knows we're trying to do that before we do it right because it's us it's our thoughts right it's our experience it's our energies um so the trick is to not come with an agenda but at the same time yes um you know, there are like results that you get from this if you authentically do it. There are results. And I don't think, you know, 
whether it's a healing path or a path of liberation within Buddhism, just to be really clear, I don't think you're asking this, but I just want to be clear with everyone, never are we trying to get rid of emotions. I think this is one of the biggest misunderstandings of Eastern thought and, and especially Buddhist meditation. Emotions are, are there as, as, as rich energy tools for us, but when we're controlled and manipulated by them, then we're just like a slave. So the whole process is to, to uh, gener- generally um, unbind ourselves from that slavery uh, to, to our disturbing emotions. But within the path of healing, especially this handshake practice, you kind of come to a place where you don't care. Like really, like the worst, shittiest thing can come up in your mind and you don't care. It's just whatever. Because you're not afraid of yourself anymore. So that's what the result is after practicing this a lot. You're not afraid when anger comes. You're not afraid when jealousy comes. You're not afraid when deep sadness comes or attachment or whatever. Of course, um, the fear doesn't play into then we act them out. We just know that they can just be there and we can feel them. And we don't have to, you know, we don't have to um, be led, led by them and we also don't have to suppress them. So that, that's kind of the quality that comes. And yes, I would say because of that, there is a sense where they, they, they don't have the same strength as they used to. So the key here is um, we disarm the disturbing emotions, but we're not doing it through a technique or some manipulation. But I do want to say that in Buddhism, there are practices that do do that, and that's perfectly fine too. Like it's okay to apply an antidote. Like for instance, we use Lojong practice to apply an antidote to a disturbing emotion. That's just another context. But within the, this practice, we don't do that. Yeah. Does that yeah. kind of get out what you're saying? Yeah. Some of them. Is essence love any different from contentment? I think the, they're really related. Um, I think the way Sokhni Rinpoche talks about it, um, essence contentment is a result of essence love. So essence love is more the potentiality for contentment. It's sort of like the basis underneath, and then contentment, well-being, okayness kind of come out of that. But the way he describes that okayness in the essence love is like like a baby okayness like it's not like um it's just like what's the word it's like a like a small voice but that voice isn't small because it's weak it's small because it's like um there's 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 nothing there to like um what's the word it's kind of easygoing <laughs> in a way i don't know how to explain it but the feeling definitely i think you know it's there when there's contentment so essence love is also our birthright. It's it's not something we have to cultivate. This is an innatist view uh, from a Buddhist perspective. So we have uh, different perspectives in in Buddhism. Some uh, con- construction. Uh, I get the word one construction like constructing something and innate innateism or something being innate. So this view is essence love is actually more innate within us, and so therefore we're just uncovering it through this practice because we've caked it on with all this crap you know, over our lifetime. Yeah. But yeah, I'd say contentment is definitely related. Long answer to your question. <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah. Um, isn't the emotion sometimes informed us or telling us something that does need to change? Yeah. And that's where I think um, gen- generally this practice is more applicable to um, Either when we're having speediness in our body, like when I said the lung is out of control because we're having a, a lung imbalance and the subtle body is not balanced. And therefore, when we rest like this with that anxiety, the lung will go down. So it's a way to heal the subtle body. 
That's one method. The other is when uh, um, there's a trauma in the emotion. So this is where my teacher says something's happening that's real, but not true. So, for instance, um, we could be in a situation like we're in a car and there's no, you know, we're safe in there. We have our seatbelt on. The road is safe. But we're freaking out internally because we have a trauma from a previous car accident. So this is when it's real. We are experiencing a genuine trauma, but it's not true because we're not threatened in that particular situation. So then through recognizing that, that's when we can handshake those kinds of things. But yes, like... um, I have, you know, a friend of mine recently told me I've become really good at handshaking shame. <laughs> I think he was, in, he was, it was a gentle insult. So we don't need to handshake, you know, because shame is a positive emotion in Buddhism. Uh, not shame in a depressed sense of shame, like feeling bad that you um, blew up at somebody. Like that's a, that's a good emotion when we feel regret for that. That's what shame is within Buddhism. Not like a heavy shame. So, um, he was joking with me. <laughs> so in a sense, like, you you know, we're not going to, like, if I blow up at someone and get angry, and then five minutes later, I feel bad for blowing up at the person, and then I'm like, oh, well, I'll just handshake it so I don't feel bad anymore. I would say that's not the right case to use it. So there's things like that, too. Yeah. But I think anytime the emotion is related, and it's not just the emotion, it's also the energetic quality. That's almost like a pre-emotion, right? Where we, we don't yet have sadness but there's this feeling underneath that's related to sadness but it's not full-blown sadness yet that's something you guys will have to experiment in the practice but anyways um so i'm getting off the top of your question but basically yeah you would more handshake these these i think trauma is a strong word because they don't always have to be traumatic but they're experiences that are um they're 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 not appropriate to the situation or there's something that's disturbing us enough where we're not in a state of contentment or well-being yeah so you have to kind of pick and choose because this you can see he's even he's in a, even as i'm talking about it it's not quite straightforward because you might have a situation especially there's family situations where um our reaction to a certain family member is mixed we love them you know but we also like hate them sometimes you know or have they piss us off or something or it's like um we love them, but then we have our own reaction from our childhood of uh, um, things needing to be done in a certain way. So with our you know, child, we sort of, our, our trauma, you know, you see what I'm getting at? Our trauma sort of moves the situation when it's us, it's not them. So it's tricky to figure this out. But I think generally I use it um, a lot for anxiety. I use it a lot for like the lung when we feel it sort of, speediness kind of like our body we can't relax then we can just handshake that feeling we can be with that feeling in the way i was talking about but of course more deeper things like um uh, depression sadness numbness um any of that kind of stuff yeah and again with anger it's tricky too because there is you know i don't like using the term righteous anger but i think there is times when we need we never need hate i will say that i think hate we can banish from a Buddhist perspective, we don't need hate ever. But the forcefulness that looks like anger, we might need sometimes. Like, you know, if, you're, if your kid's running into the street and they don't listen and you ha- out of love, you have to yell at them so they don't get hurt. You know, it looks like anger, but it's not quite anger. It's not quite hate. It was definitely not hate, but it's not, you know, it's just sort of that force that looks like anger. 
So sometimes we need that, right? So you wouldn't want to handshake that. But again, it depends. If someone's, you know, if, if uh, like my friend, um, he just kept getting pissed off because a kid kept grabbing a, is this recording? I hope he doesn't hear this. Uh, the iPad game to sort of like, um, <clears throat> he was playing like a video game with guns in it. Now, you, you know, we might all have different opinions about whether that's a healthy thing for a kid to do or not. That's irregardless. We're not going to talk about that. But either way, it was his opinion about it. And he mixed in the situation of like what he thought was appropriate versus, and the kid kept playing it. So then he took the iPad away. But he got angry because he was more annoyed the kid, kid was disobeying him. I mean, I, I talked, you know, I this is my judgment. <laughs> but maybe, you know, there's this situation where, um, you know, I don't know, maybe he was trying to protect him. But if it's the situation where it's sort of the anger is sort of that way, then it's tricky because the love is mixed in with our own attachment to a certain result. Anyways, maybe I'm making it way too complicated. <laughs> But you see what I'm saying, you know? It's nuanced, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I noticed when I was meditating, like, my heart was beating fast, and I was felt like I was out of breath. Mm-hmm. So you could just feel that. Just be with that experience. Meaning just, like, drop into that. And that, that'll be a way to work with the, the anxiety or lung, you know, that's happening there. For whatever reason, right? Here we don't, also we're not like, uh, we don't have to figure out like who's, you know, if we're having anxiety, we don't have to like ask the anxiety, who's your mama? Like, what did she cook last night? You know, like we don't have to ask all that. We just need to feel it, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I would say same same process, yeah. But it could be a, could be a lung disorder, but I don't want (laughs) to... give you another problem by saying that <laughs> you know saying and you know we all have kind of imbalances uh, culturally i don't know i think different americans function differently too um i was recently i used to think we were all i'm just gonna go on a little rant here i hope you don't mind um i used to think like as americans we're all in, like very individualistic because that's how we're trained like our economic system functions that way um, a lot of things function that way in our culture and train us that way, but I'm starting to think it's not everyone. It's sort of more of the, the dominant culture within America. But I don't know. I grew up in that. I'm, I'm, you know, white male, so I'm in that dominant culture. So it's hard to get myself out of that to see it more objectively. But that's something to look at too individually. You might not have some of these issues working with this practice. Should we practice more? <laughs> yeah. <coughs> Okay, so we're going to try a new technique now. <laughs> so what we'll do on three is we're all going to drop together, okay? So we're going to let out a... So you can watch me, I'll do it one time. <sighs> so we're going to let out a ha through the breath. And as soon as we do that, we drop the thinking into the body and just feel whatever's there, okay? So the ha, when we release like that, it helps to sort of drop into the body. Ready? <laughs> it's kind of fun. I hope you're excited. <laughs> One, two, three. <sighs> so just drop the thinking mind into the body and feel. So, whatever is most present or the strongest in your experience. 
You just gently bring the awareness. Touching or feeling the feeling. And again, we drop any sort of agenda we notice, even a very subtle one of, I want to feel better through this practice. We just do the practice, putting the effort, letting go of any hope for change or fear of not changing. And again, whatever's arising is perfectly fine. It really, no matter how painful or disturbing, it wants to be heard. It actually needs our attention. So here we're giving it our attention, not by analyzing or trying to figure it out, trying to corral or change it. We're giving it attention by bringing awareness to it, feeling it, and allowing it to express itself. But because we have our awareness there, we're also not getting hijacked by it. So it's almost as if we're going with the feeling, but because of the awareness, we're not. So here the kindness is really in the non-judgment, not judging the experience to be good or bad, it just is what it is. The kindness is in the feeling, and in just being honest with our emotion or our feeling. coming in as a rescuer or doer or a savior to our situation. If we get tired or bored or distracted, that's fine. We can also handshake with that. Everything can kind of be brought in, felt. We could also handshake thoughts if we need to, but really we're more working with the felt sense. But sometimes we have an abundance of thoughts that won't let us do that, so we can handshake the thoughts. Whatever is sort of coming in to our attention that needs our attention, we touch and feel, bring our presence to.
And things may open, or they may not open. But either way, we just stay, wait. Without an agenda. challenge here is being willing to feel. We have to have some courage. Not courage or bravery to defeat the emotion or experience, but courage to face it and sit with it. And there's even a kind of gentle welcoming where we're kind of Curious, this thing that wants its wants our attention. There's a gentle friendliness, but not a friendliness trying to make it better. Friendliness, like we'd sit with a friend who just needs our loving care. But doesn't necessarily need our groundbreaking advice just needs us to be there wants our attention So things may shift and open or not, and that's okay. Sometimes when we hit a bigger trauma, we have many layers to touch, and it takes time. Just being very patient, coming back over and over. Not trying to force it to open. So I think we have about five or so minutes before we'll close up. Um, 
Did you guys have any questions about the practice or? Yeah. Has something Rinpoche written about this practice? Yeah, it's in his book Open Heart, Open Mind. Um, but it's, there's not a lot in that. But we're coming out with an online course very soon called Fully Being. So if you go to fullybeing.org, I think the website is up now. And then there'll be a whole course in this with lots of videos of Rinpoche teaching, um, guided meditations, um, also like a curriculum. Yeah. So it's mainly what he calls his path of healing. So like I set up in the beginning, there's this um, path of healing and path of liberation, right? So he kind of distinct uh, makes them distinct because often um, a lot of us Western Buddhists, w- we come looking for healing, but we often approach, uh, we, we don't get the benefits of Buddha Dharma because uh, we, we often confuse the healing from the liberation. Yeah. So he, it's quite good the way he distinguishes that. It helped me a lot. Of course, the practices, yeah. Uh, I just have a comment without going much into my my experience, but um, whenever I would visualize, I would get into an emotion, I would visualize it like a, just like a big color, amorphous blob of stuff. <laughs> You're going new agey on me again. What's that? <laughs> You're going new agey on me again. Uh, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> joking, joking. <laughs> Yeah. No, but it would go from like purple and then to white and to blue and like different colors. Yeah. And uh, but it was really static. Like the one emotion would be very much purple, and then as it would start to change, it would feel very much white. And I don't know. I think whatever in this practice is sort of coming up naturally, like you're not thinking it or trying to do it, just let it come. So if if that's where that's coming from, it's just happening for you. But if you're bringing that up, then I would say just sit with the feeling itself. You know what I mean? Don't try Definitely to... Just happen. Yeah, then just let it happen. Yeah, I don't think there's a problem with it. Yeah. Open heart, open mind. Uh, and then the, the fullybeing.org is the website. Of course, there's Buddhist teachings, so he teaches mainly uh, Buddhism, right? Yeah. Anybody else? <laughs> yeah. Well, in these types of practices where we're working with emotions and feelings... I usually have a hard time actually having just sporadically just have one come up yeah. in an emotion or feeling world. So both of the practices tonight, I did a feeling, physical sensation, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, is, is, it the, is that whatever comes up or is it really only focused on the feelings and emotions that you're trying to really work with? That was a good question. No, you can really handshake whatever comes up. Um, but the practice seems to thrive the most and have the most impact when there's a difficult a trauma, traumatic trauma. I call say trauma, but it doesn't have to be so heavy. Just a an emotional experience we, our thinking mind is is not able to control or, or work with. Um, but so that's where the cushion time when there's not necessarily like something coming up like in the group now. But then you'll have the skill in the practice when something does come up to apply it, right? Yeah, what I'm thinking is if I have a difficult emotion, is just to go to that in the moment because mm-hmm. it's less likely to occur. To- in my, in my sitting practice. It's yeah. more likely to be real life and I can just jump to the practice itself. Yeah, and the sitting practice um, just cultivates that ability to do that more because this practice also has those results where it creates a lot of spaciousness and um, less judgment because we learn to handshake just all situations in life where they just become, uh, there's a process where we realize we don't act, actually have to use our thinking mind for a lot of experiences. Like for instance, um, me personally, like uh, the amount 
probably like my thinking processes went down 60%. So then they could be maybe less 40%. So they can be preserved for things that actually need it, not when it's not needed. Like I don't have to, when I'm trying to catch the bus today, I don't have to think like bus, 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 when's it coming? I just have to think time and then that's it, you know? And then all the extra thoughts and all that extra anxiety I can handshake and work with. Because for me, it's like anxiety that's coming up, that's triggering the thoughts, which is the lung being out of balance. That's why I kind of explained it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Did you say fullybeing.com or .org? I think it's .org. .org. I think the website's up, but it should yeah. launch in the new year. Yeah. 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 There's a whole course. Yeah. I used to do body meditation. Like, I like the body. And I used to, if there was pain, focus on it instead of, like, going away. So this practice, it was great because it, it goes to the feeling, the sensation, not only the body, physical part of my knees is hurting, I need to move, or I'm meditating, but it's like, it's almost like there's pain because there may be some sensations or some emotions that I'm repressing, so it's like, nice. yeah, it yeah. goes to the top of it. Wonderful, it's yeah, pain. yeah. Yeah, I find, I find this, uh, like I said, this it's really benefited me doing this. And I combine it with my Buddhist practice. For for those of you who are Buddhist in the room and you, you know, studied enough to know what bodhicitta is, I generate a bodhicitta motivation when I do this. So then I pray that, you know, I create an aspiration that this may become a cause for me to attain enlightenment for the benefit of all sending beings. Because being a healthier human being, um, we're going to better be able to interact with our karmic patterns too. Buddhism is mostly trying to purify the karmic patterns. Um and so we're better able to work with those when we have a healthy state of, of mind and body. It's very difficult sometimes to work with karmic patterns when we're completely overwhelmed by our trauma all the time because we're just manipulated and controlled by that all the time. Now, again, I'm talking about maybe an extreme case. So just the Buddhists in the room. This doesn't have to be separate from your Buddhist practice, but I'm just saying it because um, I was distinguishing them because often we have this... Um, what, what's happening in our culture right now is meditation is mostly being taught as a self-help technique and it's being taught as a way to um, become stress-free and calm. And that's perfectly fine. But then Buddha Dharma and the path of meditation within Buddhism has a much different goal. And, and, I, and what I say to people is um, if you're interested in just stress relief, that's perfectly fine. But um, what's, what, what, what happens as a mistake is when people think they're practicing the path to liberation, but really they're just looking for stress relief. That, that's when it becomes an issue. So you have some people engaging in Buddhism like that. So that's why I make the whole distinction between the paths. Yeah. So isn't the, the objective uh, for the release of suffering? Mm -hmm. how, are they, how are they different? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, essentially... Like I said, so the Buddhism kind of has these two aims. So one aim is to relieve the suffering in this life. So it's totally in line with that. But the main aim or the, the bigger concern is to relieve the suffering of not only future lives, but to end the suffering completely, which we call nirvana or liberation, right? So then um, what often happens is, um, like I said, if that wish is if to relieve the suffering within this life is in connection with or with an aspiration with this greater to relieve this greater suffering within oneself of samsara as a whole then there's no problem with that but what often often happens is um we stay at a limited um 
perspective with it. And then we never enter the path of liberation. So I don't think the problem is having one or the other. The problem is um, if we want to enter the path of liberation, never actually entering that because it requires a different aspiration and different state of mind. But again, there's no problem with just working with like um, to relieve the suffering of this life. Like I said, it's, it's mainly a problem when someone thinks they're practicing the path to liberation, but they're not. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Yeah. Is a lot of this egocentric story yeah. that that you have that kind of creates these emotions, and so for my sitting with that and letting that go, it feels like it's also um, on a path of more, yeah, more uh, the bigger, bigger uh, attainment. Yeah, yeah, me too. But it's connected in with a greater motivation then. It has to be um, connected in with this motivation um, because healing is not the end goal because there can be just healing within an emotional state within a on the subtle body. There can be healing, but we still are bound by samsara and bound by cause and effect and all these things. So then that's just like, um, you know, so it's it's what happens often is um, you see this like uh, when we get some healing, we don't really feel, oh, well, then what's the need to meditate if we already feel okay but then the i'm not saying you i'm just saying in general right this can be the now if if for you it's connected in with um your greater motivation of bodhicitta or whatever then there's no problem with that that's just that's how i work with it as well where it's sort of like i need to be a healthy human being to better relate with others the ego like you said the ego clinging is going to go down when i'm healthier but there's still ego and that's the problem (laughs) see what i'm saying and the only thing that will hit at that ego is dharma practice, realizing emptiness. That's the only thing that will hit that. Yeah. But we have to be where we are and work with that, you know, and use all the tools like that. I'm mainly talking to Buddhist people who are really interested in liberation now. See what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. Yeah, because um, we have more subtler aspects of ego in Buddhism. So the, the, big, the most subtle one is this, this, this perception of uh, where we, view, we feel an I or a sense of self. That's very subtle. And so it takes a lot of meditation to actually come to that experience. That's what we're actually trying to erode. Where I think with handshaking in this practice, it can erode out a lot of the things above that, which is beautiful and it's necessary. For instance, it can it can erode at sort of we're going to become more of an easygoing person because we're more relaxed with our emotions. Therefore, we're more relaxed with others. We have less disturbances, but then we have we run the risk of what my teacher calls uh, becoming a master of samsara, which he says Californians are really good at. <laughs> you know, where you have you only have you have you know two cars, not too big of a house, but not too small of a house. You know, you have automatic espresso machine. Um, you know, like all these conveniences, but not too much. So the cost isn't too much. And then, you know, a nice view, but not too nice to where you're spending all your time looking at it. Then you have a house in the mountains, a house in the beach, a house in the city. And then you, and then I'm not saying you, I'm just sort of saying in general. So then, you know, um, life is good. So then it's just like, but we still have to die and get sick. So the Buddhism is like working with that. Where then we don't have to 
continue in a round of rebirth and death anymore. So that's the religious view of liberation. Yeah. So it's a joke. He's basically talking about like a, um, I do this too, where it's like, um, what's the word? Just, you know, just the right amount of caffeine so I'm not super nervous but awake. Like these kinds of things where I'm trying to manipulate samsara. I'm trying to manipulate my experience. But within it itself is suffering, the Buddha said. Even that first sip of my lovely latte I had yesterday is suffering. So we have to analyze this when we look into Buddhism. So this is why it's getting more deep within Buddhism beyond just the healing aspects. Because even the fact that we have a body is considered suffering. Yeah, but anyways, this is another talk, another time. Yeah, but it's actually a really good question. Yeah, so I think we'll stop. Uh, I might dead. Oh, <laughs> got me a cake. See, I got more things to master now. <laughs> you want to dedicate first, or let's do it. We could dedicate that. Okay. <laughs> so, um, what we'll do is we'll just uh, you can just gently close your eyes if you want. We'll just for a minute. So whatever we cultivated here tonight, just any learning contemplating, meditating, discussing together, feeling those beautiful monsters. <laughs> Whatever happened for us, even if it completely sucked and you wish you didn't come, <laughs> we're going to dedicate it. So, in connection with all beings, so now we're going to move into this relational aspect, not just an individual sitting here in our seat, but in connection with everyone else in the room, everyone outside this room, our families, friends, strangers, even those we dislike, <clears throat> even politicians not to be named here. We include them in our circle, not because we like what they do necessarily, but because they're a human being who wants happiness, or a sentient being who wants happiness. And whatever we've cultivated here together, we just share the merit of tonight with them. We send out that loving energy for world peace, the genuine well-being of all beings, so they can have essence love and okayness, and then of course dedicating for our own awakening as well as the awakening of others. So just feel that energy in your heart, sending it out. Thanks so much. <laughs>